Good morning. Thank you so much. I want to welcome you guys that are in this room and then welcome those of you that are in Overflow. We have another group uh, that are watching us from Overflow in the welcome area. And so we just want to welcome all of you here this morning, regardless of the room that you're in, regardless of the room that you're worshiping in, uh, we're still all together. Maybe not in the same room, but we're all together. So I just want to tell you, what a great church. And I just, every once in a while, I just want you to know how much I love you, how much I appreciate you. It is an honor to serve you. It is an honor to be at this church and just see what God is doing together as we continue just to trust him and just reach Pueblo and other places where we have missions going all over the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here and being a part of Fellowship of the Rockies. Well, this morning we're continuing the series called Heroes. And so we've been looking at the lives of men and women, and we've been looking at their lives and their circumstances and their situations with God, and that how those situations or the circumstances shaped them, or how they responded to those situations in life. And so today we're continuing this series, and we're looking at David's life. So if you have your Bibles or iPads or words that come up on the screen, whatever you use to get God's Word, you can turn to... Well, a lot of places. 1 Samuel chapter 18, 20, 2 Samuel. So anyway, just go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and then we'll, we'll do this together, right? And so this is going to be just a long intro so that we kind of understand the culture and the context, what's going on in this story about David's life. And then we'll use the New Testament out of the book of Romans to just bring some principles together because we're going to talk about a subject that, that really is just not a popular subject to talk about. We're going to talk about that subject of... How to, how to deal with authority, how to submit to the authority that God has placed over you, and how to deal with that difficult boss, how to deal with that difficult coworker. Because listen, if we're all honest and, and just talk amongst ourselves, or you don't need to talk amongst yourself, just let me talk right now, but, but <laughs> it'd be just distracting. But if we're all honest and we have those conversations, you know what? We like authority as long as we're the one in charge, Right? I mean, as long as I get to make the rules, as long as I decide, decide what's right or wrong or this, that, and the other, we all like authority. But when it's difficult is, is when, when someone is in authority over us. And listen, every one of us has someone in authority over us. Whether you report, report to a, a board, a group of donors, whether you own your own company and now you've got sh shareholders or you may have customers, or you may have clients, you may have a boss, you may have a supervisor, you have parents or whatever, that every one of us has to deal with this issue of authority. And so when you start looking at Scripture, you realize that, you know what? God exercises His will through human authority. Now, we may not like that, and sometimes we may not understand that, but we don't have to because we're not God. And so His ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so, but we have to submit to it as well. And so, but God always uses human authority to exercise his will, his will, whether it's good or bad, whether it's non-believing or believing, whether it's unrighteous, whether it's righteous, whether it's hurtful or whether it's helpful, whether it's fair or whether it's unfair. The amazing thing and the mystery of God's will is this, is God uses human authority to exercise his will. And so what scripture teaches is this, is when you and I are willing to come under the authority that God has placed over us, there is blessing and there's protection. Unless, of course, they're asking us to do something that is immoral, illegal, unethical, or against scripture. But when we're willing to submit to the authority that God has placed over us, good, bad, helpful, hurtful, righteous, unrighteous, believing, non-believing, all of those things, that the scripture teaches this, there's just blessing. And the scripture also teaches that when we come out from under the authority that God placed over us, 
there's consequences. And there's fact is, what the Scripture teaches is that everything you do and everything that I do is spiritual. And so God has taken authorities, and what Scripture says, he's instituted all authorities, and he has placed authorities in the home and in the workplace and, and in, 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 in civilization, in the government, in school. And so everything that we do, when we get this and we understand this, is a spiritual issue. So that means that because of this, my work and your work is a spiritual issue. How you, how you fill out your taxes, how you pay your taxes, spiritual issue. Um, how you relate, students and children, how you relate to mom and dad, that's a spiritual issue. How you relate to a husband and how you relate to a wife, that's a spiritual issue. How you respond to the government and the government that is over you and civil authority and all that other stuff, that's a spiritual issue. And how you vote is a spiritual issue that you cannot check your spirituality, you cannot check your values at the door when you go to vote. And so what scripture teaches is this is your attitude in response to human authorities, the authorities that God has placed over you, is a reflection of your attitude or your response to your Heavenly Father. Fact is, if you've been life journaling with us, you know that we've been life journaling through the book of Exodus, and, and uh, Moses is leading the children of Israel, right? God's leading Moses, Moses is leading the children of Israel, and they get to this point of the story where they start grumbling against Moses, and they don't like Moses, they want to fire him, they don't want to listen to him. Uh, and all of those other things. And all of a sudden, God says, which is kind of shocking, that God says to the children of Israel, says, you know what? You're not rebelling against Moses. You're rebelling against me. You're ultimately rebelling against me because I have, I have placed Moses in that position over you. Now, listen, it is okay to hold people accountable that are over you. It's okay to write letters to the government. It's okay to confront. It's okay to have those conversations. But you still are able to do that while you're under their authority and you respect their authority and you respect their position. Now, we catch up with David, and there's just a long intro into this before we make some application points, and, but we catch up in the story of David. If you were with us last week, we looked at the issue of David and, 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 and giants and how to defeat giants in your life, and, and David destroyed Goliath, and all of a sudden, David's popularity is just like off the charts good. Fact is, the musicians and the rock bands and all that other stuff are writing songs about David. And some of the lyrics were that Saul had slain a thousand, but David has slain ten thousand. And so David's like this rock star, and he's like this hero. And all of a sudden, his supervisor, which is King Saul, which David knows one day he'll get the job, one day he'll replace King Saul. And all of a sudden, Saul becomes very jealous of David. And he feels threatened by David. See, Saul was not a good supervisor. Saul was not a good boss. And so David's story helps us understand how to deal with that individual, how to deal with that difficult supervisor, a difficult board, or a difficult authority that has been placed over you. And so King Saul was the leader of Israel. Uh, he got the position at a crisis before King Saul was Samuel. Samuel was both a, pri a priest, a prophet, or a pastor, and a king. <coughs> Excuse me. And so the people got frustrated because they didn't want a pastor, they wanted a king. And Samuel was more of a pastor than he was a king. And so they got frustrated, so they like said, we want to replace Samuel. And then all of a sudden, in the crisis, Saul gets the job. But the problem was this, he got the job because of his charisma. He got the job because of his outward gifts. He was athletic, he was strong, he was bigger than any of the other men. He was a fierce fighter. He was, what the scripture says, he was handsome. He had great charisma. And listen, they valued charisma greatly in their time, just like we value charisma greatly in our time, right? But charisma is not king. What is king is this, character. 
See, a lot of times we let an individual's charisma drive our decisions, and then we realize, wait a minute, this person has character issues. This person doesn't have any integrity. This person doesn't really have my best interest at heart, and Saul was that kind of a guy. Saul had great charisma, and he was articulate, and he was smart, and he was winsome, and all of those other things. But all of a sudden, the children of Israel realized, and David realized, this guy's evil. And this guy is, is just bad news. But David is still working for him. David is still un, uh, under his, his authority. And Saul got the job, and he got the job out of crisis. But the problem is he wasn't a person of integrity. And all of a sudden, his lies began to catch up with him. And it was, it was his undoing. One time there's a story that, that Saul had gotten so jealous of David that he, he invited David into the, the palace and he wanted him to play his harp. David was a musician. And so he wanted him to play his harp for him because it, it calmed him. And so David's over there playing the harp and, and uh, Saul gets angry and he was just said he just had jealousy. And he took a spear and he hurled at him and uh, he missed, but he tried to kill David. He was so jealous of David that he got to the point that he was... He wanted to take him out. He wanted to kill him. He was that type of supervisor, that type of boss that is intimidated by someone that works under them, works for them, and they do everything they can to hold them down or to destroy them. We pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 12. Here's what the scripture says. So Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul begins to try to, he tries to sabotage David's career. He begins giving, the fact is, he wanted to kill him so bad, he would send him to the front lines, he would send him to those battles and not give him enough support, hoping that, that the enemy would like kill Saul, uh, kill David. And so it was that supervisor that was doing everything they could, he was giving assignments to David that nobody else wanted to do. He was doing, giving assignments to David so David wouldn't look great and so David wouldn't get the promotions and all of those other things. But the problem is God was with David. See, David understood that. David understood that it is my job to submit to the authority that God has placed over me and it's God's job to prepare for me. Listen, let me tell you something. Don't give your, bo your boss, your supervisor, your company, a board that you report to, the authority that is over you, more power than they really have. They ultimately do not choose your destination. God is more powerful than any supervisor. He's more powerful than any boss. He's more powerful than any board. And so ultimately, God has a purpose. He has a plan for your job, uh, for your life. And so our job is to obey him and follow him and respect the authority that he's placed over us. So Saul has been sending David out to battle, hopes he'd be killed. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 30. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. As often as they, they came out, David had, had more success. And so as much as, as Saul tried to destroy David and hurt David, he gave him those little assignments. And David is like, he, he's like this rock star. Everything that he does turns to gold. And his, po gold and his popularity continues to go. He had more service, uh, success than all the servants of Saul so that his name was highly esteemed. So the question is, well, how does, how does Saul respond to this? I mean, nothing he can do can, can end David's career. Nothing he can do can end David's promotion that one day would come when he would replace Saul as king. So you know what Saul does? Puts out a contract on David's life. Puts out a hit. He, he, he wants David killed. So, so David now is like, is like on the run, and, and Saul tries to get his son Jonathan, who was David's best friend, uh, to try to kill him, and, so, and Jonathan would have none of that. And so all of a sudden, David and Jonathan are having this conversation, and David's asking Jonathan, does your dad, do you think he really wants to kill me? 
I mean, do you, do you think there's more to this and the assignments he's giving me? And John says, I, I don't know. I, I tell you what, let's do. I'll go in and talk to Dad. So here, here's, the, here's the story. Verse Samuel, chapter 20, verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, so it was kindled against Jonathan because he realized Jonathan believed in David, and Jonathan wouldn't get into this plan uh, to kill David. You, you son, are a perverse, uh, you son, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. In other words, you are not my kid. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, which is David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, speaking of David, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and he, and he just shows him respect. He says, well, well, let me ask you, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to, to put David to death. And so the next four years, David's on the run. The next four years, David realized that it is true that Saul has a hit out on his life. Saul's doing everything he can to hunt him down and to kill him. So Saul take, or David takes and gets like 600 men, 600 of his closest friends, the guys that he served with. And so they're like, they're like his, his uh, secret service, or they're trying to protect him. And so they're living life on the run. And so they go to a very mountainous region there in Israel, and they're living in caves. And so all 600 of these men, and you can imagine how in, in these caves, I've been there. I mean, these caves are like ginormous. And so David and his men are in this cave, and, and Saul had been tracking him. And, and uh, so Saul decides to go into this cave. Happened to be the cave David and his men are in. And Saul decides to go into the cave because he needs to use the bathroom. He needs to relieve himself. That's in Scripture. That's why you should read the Bible. I mean, there come some creative stories. <laughs> and so Saul goes in to relieve himself, and David and his men are there. And they're quiet, and Saul doesn't know that. And one of the men says, David, this is your chance. You can take him out. Because he's in a vulnerable position. <laughs> it didn't quite say that, but you know what I mean. And David says, you know what? He's the Lord's anointed. And I'm not going to live my life on circumstances. I'm not going to live my life on situations. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And, and Saul had taken his robe off and put it on a rock. And so David goes over and crawls and takes a corner of the... I'm trying to say it like you guys. You guys, I, corner. That's the edge of something. Corner. I'm still working on some of my words, and so that's one of them. And so he cuts the, the corner off, and, uh, and then David leaves, and he's going down into the valley, and then, then Saul stands up, and, and they have this conversation, 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 8. And afterward, David also arose and went out to the cave, and he and called after Saul. Okay, so, so, so here's the deal. When you're under someone's authority, it's okay to confront. It's okay to hold them accountable. You don't get personal. You don't have personal attacks. You don't try to take them out. I mean, you just you can still submit to someone's authority. You can remain under someone's authority by having a conversation, okay? 
And so, but it's so interesting because David still respects Saul. I mean, can you imagine this? Saul's trying to kill him. So please don't put yourself over the story. So many times when we read scripture, we put ourselves over the stories instead of in the story. So how would you respond? A boss or supervisor that is trying to take you out, end your career, destroy you. I mean, how do you handle that? And it's just such an interesting. And so, so, but David still respects him. And, and you know how he responds to him? Watch this. He says, he, he says, my Lord, the king. So he gives respect to the position. You respect the position, not the person, right? And so, so uh, he was respecting the position, the position that he held. And so he says, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed. Wow. David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, uh, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks you harm? Listen, never, never, never think that gossip and slander is harmless. It destroys people. And if you've ever been on the other side of rumors, if you've ever been on the other side of slander, if you've been ever on the other side of people questioning your life and questioning your motives, then you know how painful and how hurtful that is. And so what had been going on and what had been happening was there's a group of people with Saul's ear and telling Saul, David wants to kill you. Now, that wasn't true. And it affected Saul and it affected David. Listen, there's nothing innocent about gossip, judgment, and slander. Let me tell you this. Mercy always trumps judgment in the family of God. And we just got to understand this, and we just got to get clear on this, because there are some people that believe, you know what, what I say about a boss supervisor, what I say about someone else, really harmless, not so much. And so anyway, so he says, why do you listen to these words? Verse 10, behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. In other words, I could have taken you out. And someone told me to kill you. So you can confront and you can be transparent. He was just transparent. Listen, I want you to know there's some people there recommending that I should have taken you out. But I spared you. And I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, sees the, the, see my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. It's really hard when someone... Isn't it really hard when someone believes gossip and rumor about you to change their mind? That's why it's so destructive. Even David's actions was not strong enough over the lies that Saul had been told. He said, David, I have not sinned against you. Though, totally transparent, this is how to confront without being hurtful. Just state the facts. He didn't get personal, didn't talk about his mama, didn't talk about his family tree, didn't talk about his, anything like that. He said, though, you're trying to kill me. And so Saul just like breaks down and just begins to weep. And we'll pick it back up at verse 16. And so as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and he begins to weep. And so they have this conversation. And so he says to David, he says, you're more righteous than I, for, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Listen, let me, 
So many times the reason we have difficulty in situations like this, we believe a false belief that that other person doesn't know what they're doing to us. Do they really know they're this evil? Do they really know this is this hurtful and painful? Because of the conscience and because of the spirit, do you know what? They know. Don't ever buy into a false belief that that person, they may not admit it, but Saul says, you've done nothing but good, and I have done nothing but evil to you. And he goes on, and Saul goes on, and he says, and you have declared this day how you have dealt with me. Have you dealt well with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands? For I find, for if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? In other words, if you have an enemy, most people will just take that person out if you have an opportunity. The way you handle authority, the way everything that you do is spiritual. It's a testimony. So may the Lord reward you with good and what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that, that you surely uh, shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. But this confession didn't last long. Why? Because he was, a man of he was a man of charisma, not a man of character. He didn't have integrity. And so you know what Saul does after this conversation? He thinks about it. And this time he gets 3,000 men and they begin to hunt David down. And David now is on the run. And the, I mean, the pressure is just... Is, is great and, and one night uh, David and his men happened up on the camp that Saul and his men were in Saul was sound asleep they walked right up to Saul Saul's asleep and there's a water jug and a spear and Abishai tells David said David this is your chance this is your chance you can take him out the Lord has delivered him into your hands and listen so many times we blame God for our choices, right? So many times because of situational ethics, because of circumstances, we want to say, you know what? Because this person came into my path, God wanted me to meet her. God wanted me to meet him. Or, or the reason that I made this decision is God put this situation together. But David says, well, wait a minute. I don't live my life based upon circumstances. I don't live my life based upon situations. And so I'm going to do what is right. And so David took the water jug and took the spear Again, they went up into the mountains and they shouted back down to Saul. And Saul and David had this conversation. And David says, one more time, I could have taken your life. I could have taken you out. Don't believe this gossip. Don't believe these rumors. I wish you no harm. I, I respect you. But David still did not believe him. And so Saul returns home and David returns back in hiding. And then here's the crazy deal. Then all of a sudden, Saul and Jonathan die in battle. And David gets word that his enemy, that the person that was trying to take him out, has died. 2, Corinthians, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. And so watch this. Just watch how David responds to the news. Then David took hold of his, uh, of his clothes and tore them and said, and so did all the men who were with him. So that's, that's, that's an attitude of mourning. And they mourned and wept and fastened till evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And David lived a life of trusting God and lived a life of obedience. He wanted to give Saul a proper send-off. He, he wanted to honor Saul at a deep level. And the fact is, David, being a musician, wrote songs about Saul's honor and his life and can you imagine writing a letter for the chieftain, a complimentary letter 
for the chieftain of the boss or supervisor that tried to hurt you, that tried to destroy you, and they tried to take you out. See, David took the high road. David understood what it meant to try to find the, the, the good in people because he knew Saul. He understood Saul. Saul dealt with some things. Saul dealt with a lot of weaknesses. One of his weaknesses was just this issue of, of pride. And another issue that Saul dealt with his whole life, he had just had this rebellious he just had this rebellious nature. And listen, let me tell you something. If you can never submit to someone's authority, then you can never effectively be in authority. Where you and I learn authority is when we have to submit to authority. And we just kind of learn the power of, of unity and the power of a team and the power of everybody headed the right way. Listen, everybody has a way of doing things right. Unity comes when people all line up with the same vision and the same goal for the good of the organization, for the good of, of furthering the work of God. So just three important characteristics real quickly. If you're going to be that person, if you're going to learn to submit to the authority, remain under authority so that God can bless you and protect you, the first one is this. It just takes obedience. There's three simple words, and it just takes obedience. And in fact, is the scripture says that God has set up all authority. There's basically five authorities that he has instituted that he has set up. The first one is this. I'll just give them to you just real quickly so that we're all on the same page and we're tracking together. The first one is just kind of obvious. It's God. I mean, Jesus says that, that I have been given all authority on heaven and on earth. And, and so the scripture says that ultimately he is our authority. Uh, ultimately, uh, uh, he is the one that we are obedient obedient to and we we follow that that God is divine he is sovereign he has a plan he created us he created the world the second thing is this is civil authority and sometimes this is an area that we really struggle with the government the scripture says that all civil authority has been instituted by God has been established by God and that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 13 verse 1 this is what Paul says he said let every person be in subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, every form of government, every civil authority has been instituted and set up by God. It's a crazy deal. When you look at the Old Testament, God exercised his will, his plan, through some of the most evil kings and evil governments there was. And so they've all been set up. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So what scripture is saying is, is when you come out from under the, 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 uh, the authority that God has placed over you, there's consequences. And here's the crazy deal, because as Westerners and as Americans, we kind of bought into this belief that our form of government is the only biblical form of government. Right? I mean, you, you hear people talk about that all the time, that our form of government is biblical. But, but you know what? It doesn't say democracy. It, in fact, is it doesn't even say what type of government. It doesn't say what type form of government. It just says all governments, all civil authorities have been set up by God. So the Bible doesn't specifically say that we should all be Republicans or we should all be Democrats. The Bible doesn't say any. Now, there's a lot of people that push both sides of that, but the Bible never said that. And the Bible never teaches that. Throughout history, you find that God used all different forms of governments to, to exercise his will to, to make his will happen on earth. Fact is, he's writing this time to a group of believers that were in the Roman Empire, and they weren't in a democracy. They're in a much different government. And what he is saying, what Paul is saying is, you know what? Unless the authorities placed over you are asking you to do some unethical, illegal, uh, immoral, 
are not biblical, then you need to learn to submit to them. And there's, there's, there's things that happen in your life and things that happen in my life when we're willing, because the scripture says that there is blessing, but you come out from under that, and then there is consequences, right? Like a speeding ticket. I mean, if you get caught, but, uh, but you know this, right? I mean, many years ago, I was, I was, um, I was at Parkview Hospital. I, I, did a, I did a hospital visit. It was just a really tough visit. Had an appointment back here at the office, and I'm really trying to justify this, I guess. But, but uh, I mean, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of problems with, with driving too fast. That's why I've always said that the last thing that gets redeemed is the right foot. Because, I mean, it's like the last thing that goes. And so... So anyway, I was speeding, and I got pulled over by a Pueblo police officer. And so I was late back here, and I, you know, it was just a tough day, and I know I'm trying to get you to feel sorry for me just like I did with the officer. So I, I, got, so I decided, I said, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to greet him outside of the car. So I, I get out. Yeah, so I, I didn't run at him. <laughs> so I got out of the car, and I started walking to him, and, you know, he... I, I shook his hand. He's like, driver's and re- registration, please. And then he asked the famous question, you know, the famous question, you know, can I ask why you were speeding? And I said, well, officer, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Because <laughs> I'm a pastor. And he says, driver's license and registration, please. And I said, did I mention I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor of the living God? <laughs> He's like, I just need driver's and registration, please. And he just, he just kept writing. I said, you know, I said, well, can I ask you something? Do you even believe in grace? I mean, is that, do you even believe in grace? And he goes, I'm the enforcer. The judge decides grace or not. Drivers and registration. And he's just writing. And so the scripture teaches, right? I mean, that, that you come out from under the authority that God has placed over you. There is, there is consequences. And this is what we see in, 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 uh, in David's life and other people. The, 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 the third type of authority is just church authority. Scripture says that the elders have been set up in a church. Not only to direct the affairs of the church, but to shepherd the flock, to give an example, to pray, to minister, and all of those other things. Here's what Hebrews says about that. It said, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. And I'm telling you, Fellowship of the Rockies is blessed with some of the greatest leadership that I know of. And I'm telling you, there are some of the greatest leaders that I've ever led with in this church. And there's just great unity and all of this other stuff that the scripture talks about this. Where there's great unity, there's great power. Where there's great division, it's just difficult, right? Like this last week, we had our annual church membership meeting. And a lot of you guys, you kind of stay away from those meetings because you've been a part of churches when things when you were in those meetings and they went south, right? And people yelling and screaming and, and, and calling each other names and it was anything but Christian and all that other stuff, right? And so you say, you know what? I don't want to be a part of that stuff anymore. I'm not doing it because there were some things that went on in that meeting that didn't look very Christian to me. Well, let me tell you something. We just don't have that here. Our membership meetings are just this great celebration of what God has done. I mean, there was a, there was a spirit of, of just in this room. It's just great. I mean, we celebrated. We grew by 12% last year. We had, I think, 75 new members, uh, almost 200 pe- new people coming into ministry. We baptized over 80 people. And so when you have that, you just kinda, you, it's just a celebration. And so where there's great unity, there's great power. Parental authority. And there's another authority that God has set up. So students, children and students, the, the Scripture teaches, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, that, that when, you, when you come under the authority of mom and dad, there is blessing. 
I mean, you choose blessing or grounding, right? Because when you come out from under their authority, you will incur judgment. I mean, here's the interesting thing about this. It's also made one of the big ten, you know, one of the ten commandments. And it was, it was the only one with a promise and a warning. Like if you will honor your mother and father. You'll just honor your mother and father. And you honor them so that you may, and if you honor them, so that you may live a long and happy life. In other words, they can take you out. <laughs> your mom and dad, your parents are there to protect you, right? To keep you from making those decisions that you'll have to live with the consequences for life. There's vocational authority, and God sets that up in the workplace. And I know that God has placed me in a good work environment, in a biblical setting, where, 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 uh, where I work with, with Christians and and there's a different spirit here and a different attitude here. And, and so you may find yourself working for a boss that is, 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 is um, not a believer. And so they, na- they may not be the Lord's anointed, but they're lo- the Lord's appointed. And we submit to them. And we understand that God is in control of our life. The second thing, characteristics you must have, is just humility. I mean, it takes humility to submit to the authority that God has placed over you. I mean, it takes great, I mean, and sometimes the problem is with authority is, is, is you know what, we just, we just think we're, we're God's gift to the world, and we have this pride, much like Saul did. But there is power when you're able to be humble. Look at what it said of Jesus in Philippians 2.8. It says, in being found in human form, I mean, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of, of death, even death on a cross. This just blows me away all of the time that Jesus Christ left heaven for the cross. Can you imagine that? He left the perfection of heaven for the cross so that we could have salvation and we could have eternal life. And so David knew what it meant to be humble. In fact, the scripture says that he's God, he was a man after God's own heart and it came out of his humility. The last principle is this, is that it's just patience. In other words, if you're working for a difficult boss, a difficult board, a difficult supervisor, you're in a difficult work environment, that it just takes, it takes patience to submit to the authority that God has placed over you. David waited 12 years for God to take care of the situation with Saul. Now listen, he really wasn't waiting. It was during that period that God developed David. Part of, part of our sanctification, becoming more like Christ, is learning to respond to the authorities that God has placed over us. Even with a difficult supervisor, even with a difficult boss, even in a difficult situation, because you know what we're learning? We're learning at a real level how to be humble. We're learning how to forgive. We're learning how to encourage. We're learning how to look for the good of an individual. And we're also learning to see and watch God work in our life. A.W. Tozer said this about waiting. He said, the wheels of justice grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. And so God is never late and he's never early. And God is always on time. And a lot of the times, God is developing us and maturing us in difficult situations so we learn to forgive and trust and lead so that when he puts us in that position, we're successful. Scripture says this, that if you're faithful with the little, he'll give you much. 
If you're faithful with the little authority that God has given you and the position that he's placed you, Scripture teaches one day he'll give you much because here's the deal. If you're not faithful with the little that he's given you, you will never be faithful with the much because it's just too hard. Just too hard. I'm telling you, part of your sanctification is learning to submit to the authorities that God has placed over you Unless, of course, they've asked you to do something that goes against Scripture that is immoral, unethical, or illegal. Scripture says this in Colossians 2.6. It says, the way in which you received him, walk in him. So, so how did you receive Christ? By faith. How do you live life? By faith. But here's what I'm so excited about. That phrase, that so walk in him, Aren't you glad you're not walking for his love? You're not walking for his approval. You're not trying to earn acceptance. You're not hoping that when you get to, to the end of your life that you've done more good stuff than bad stuff, right? Because you're kind of earning his approval and you're working your way into heaven. Aren't you glad that it just says, you know what? When you receive him, when you accept him, you are his. And you are deeply loved. And you are forgiven. And you are perfect in him. And you are not working for his acceptance and for his approval. You just have to be willing to walk in him wherever he has placed you and allow him to provide for you. Do you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you this morning, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? Maybe more importantly, what is your next step? Every one of us in this room have a next step. I don't care if you've been a Christian just six months or a week or if you've been a Christian six years, 10 years, 15 years, that every one of us have a next, next step. Let me ask you, what is your next step? Your next step may be to just to receive him and ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life and just commit to him to the very best of your ability. I'm just going to walk with you. I'm just going to walk in you. And I'm going to understand that every part of my life is a spiritual issue. My work is a spiritual issue. My marriage, my relationships are a spiritual issue. My parenting is a spiritual issue. How I view my parents is a spiritual issue. Everything that I do, I understand. I get it. Spiritual issue. And maybe you've been a believer many years and you know you're walking in Him. Maybe you just needed to be reminded that when we submit to the authorities that God has placed over us, there is blessing, there is protection. He's placed them there for our good.